joy and really looking forward to it because uh, in a couple of weeks on the 14th we're going to start a study of the book of Philippians a study on joy and I don't know about you but I need more joy in my life so I'm really looking forward to the study and uh, and so be praying with me as we move that way but in between I want to do a couple of studies that have been inspired by a great spiritual leader, A.W. Tozer, just trusting God to speak these words into your life. Today has to do with our theme. What is the one application we want to be about here at Summit Church? Yeah, that's today's teaching, and it's a, an amazing, amazing teaching. So I know you have cares, and I know you have things that, that you're carrying all stuff in the world overnight, this earthquake in San Francisco, uh, just stuff. Oh, You know, I subscribe to Popular Mechanics because I I just love gadgets and all that stuff. And I was fascinated because um, scientists are developing equipment to protect us from natural disasters. And 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 this one article, uh, you know, the two words I use when it comes to end times is, yeah, these events have been happening all through history, but as the time of Christ gets close, watch for them to come with greater, do you remember the two words? Frequency, yes, and... And intensity, yeah, and I usually reverse them to say with greater intensity and frequency. So here's this article as if they read my mind in Popular Mechanics that said this, natural disasters are happening with greater intensity and frequency, and then they added a third word, and unpredictability technology is helping us to fight back. And I read that and I thought, I'm glad my hope isn't in technology, my hope is in the Lord. (laughs) Why did I say that? Oh, because stuff going on in the world. I know you have cares going on, right? So before we get into the teaching, get your hearts ready. Cast your cares on the Lord. Would you do that? I'm just going to be quiet and let you have this moment. Bible says, cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. Thank you, Lord. Now speak. We're listening in your name. Amen. Well, I always write a personal goal as I'm studying because uh, God is speaking to me. I don't stand up here as one who has it all together, but I stand up here as a co-learner, co-sojourner with you. And so my personal goal, and, and I don't always have a personal goal Sometimes God speaks to me more than other times, but, but oftentimes this is my goal. In fact, this is my life. Excuse me. <laughs> my life goal, my life purpose, to fix my eyes on Jesus, running my leg of the race with greater intentionality and greater focus. Would you all agree with me that faith is an important part of our Christian experience? All right. High on the list of priorities, the Bible teaches, and I say this unapologetically, the doctrine of faith. I know there's this whole move that we don't need doctrine. Yes, we do. We need biblical doctrine. We need God's doctrine. And in this matter of faith, the Bible says, this is Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. 
Now, I, I need to highlight the assumption of this verse. The assumption of the verse is that there's somebody somewhere who has a desire within themselves to live a life that is pleasing and acceptable to God. And and if that's you, then the question becomes, what exactly is faith? How do we define it? We just might want to know because we just might want to make sure that we have it. Almost everyone who teaches on faith will, or teaches or even writes on the subject will say things like this. Faith is to believe a promise. Faith is to take God at his word. Faith is to accept God's word as truth and then to step out on it as if you actually believe it. And then they'll follow up with all sorts of examples of how some temporal or material need was, was uh, presented, and, and, and somebody prayed about that need in faith, and voila, a miracle happened. It's a definition of faith. But there's a problem with that approach. And the problem is that we want to be a little more honest around here and, 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 and say it doesn't always play out quite so perfectly for us. So if it doesn't play out quite so perfectly, then, then does that mean that we don't have faith? Do we dis- get discouraged along the way and, and say things to ourselves or even hear ourselves or even hear other people tell us, you must not have enough faith because if you had enough faith, then you would get that miracle that you need. And the Bible really doesn't help us much here either because it doesn't give us a straight definition of faith. If you're looking for it, you might say, where is that exact definition? And, and honestly, it is in the original verse we read, the word believe. But there's something more that we can grasp. Now, the Bible does tell us how we get faith. Okay, let me show you a couple of verses for that. Hebrews 11, uh, 1. Or, or no, excuse me, I'm twisted here. This is the verse that we tend to go to if, if we're looking for a definition of faith. This is Hebrews 11.1. 1. Look what it says. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. And that appears to be a definition, but I would suggest to you that it's more of a function of faith than it is a definition of faith. It describes for us the ultimate goal of faith, but it doesn't tell us how faith works in the day-to-day affairs of life. It's more about an ultimate goal. Now we get to this whole idea that the Bible tells us where faith comes from. So look at these verses, Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace... You have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. So you could say, well, faith is a gift. Yes, but that isn't a complete definition. It doesn't help us. What is this gift? Another one is Romans ten seventeen, and these are awesome verses. This one says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So through the spoken word, through reading the scriptures, God is able to bolster our faith. It comes as a gift, but that gift is enhanced and, and triggered, set off by the inspired word of God. Some wanting to teach on faith have suggested that faith is about terror. 
Okay? I think we've all heard the idea, I'm going to put the fear of God in him, as though faith is terror, right? Now, most of you have heard me talk about my buddy Pete, Pete Davidson. Uh, Pete is the guy that I credit for me personally coming to faith. Okay, but when I first met Pete, he was kind of an angry kid. He went to a school named Julia Keene in Tucson. I went to a school named Robison, and for all practical matters, we were rivals. But the summer prior to our fifth grade year, Tucson Unified School District Number 1 decided to redefine the school boundaries, and suddenly Pete and a bunch of his kids were forced to change loyalties. They all showed up at Robison, and they didn't like it. <laughs> and, and it kind of culminated into our sixth grade year because in that year, we became such a rowdy class that we literally, and I still carry a burden for Mrs. Hathaway, we destroyed her. <laughs> and, and we probably destroyed a few other kids in the class as well, I'm telling you. Stuff we carry, stuff I remember. <laughs> We had a number of substitutes, but the one substitute who taught, who stuck, was a man named Mr. Ark, and I still can get an image of Mr. Ark. We didn't know much about him, but he was strong enough to work with us. Well, interestingly enough, that same year, Pete decided he would get baptized, and his church didn't have a baptistry, so they had to borrow a church's baptistry across town. They showed up for the baptism, and guess who one of the pastors on staff was? Mr. Ark. What must Mr. Ark have thought about this terror named Pete getting baptized in his church? What must Peter thought about Mr. Ark seeing him stepping forward in the name of Christ after witnessing him in class. <laughs> but faith isn't about terror. It, it reminds me of when I was uh, about 14 years old. Uh, I, you know, going to the Roman Catholic Church, confession was a regular part of our lives. Uh, confession uh, was kind of intimidating. Uh, it was an intimidating experience. You walk into this uh, silent echo chamber of a sanctuary, cement floors, every sound echoing as you walk in, dead silence except for people's footprints. You go to a pew, you kneel down, you prepare your heart to meet with the priest, and then you go and you get in this line. And in our sanctuary, the confessionals were in the back, the altar was in the front. It's considered offensive to look away from the altar, so everybody's in line going backwards, right? Here you go. Yeah, till it's your turn. And when it's your turn, you go into this dark little booth, and you kneel down. The only thing that separates you from the priest, I mean, this is terrifying, right? Yeah, is a little curtain. And you kneel down, and you say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, and these are my sins. <laughs> now, I don't know what possessed me this year, but I decided I was going to really be honest with the priest. I told him my thought life. I told him things nobody knew about me except me and God. And I figured, you know, he'd just listen to me. And then, then he'd give me my penance, maybe three Our Fathers, three Hail Marys, send me on my way. Sounded good. But he didn't. This time, he tore back the curtain. And he looked me right in the eye and he said, let's talk about this. 
oh man, terror, are you talking about terror? But faith isn't about terror, is it? No. All right, fear of God, proper respect of God is a healthy thing, but it's not about terror. All right, so to help us with our definition of faith, there's a very important situation in scriptures that shows us faith at work, and I need you to see it. It's uh, in Numbers 21, but Jesus brings it back in John chapter 3 because it's so, so, so important. It's, it, it's not just an, a nice little story. It's not just a, a nice little piece of history. It's prophecy. It plays an important part. And what's happening here in Numbers 21 is the children of Israel are in this 40 years of wandering per- period, and on the journey through the wilderness, they get discouraged. Now, let me ask you, does anybody ever get discouraged on the journey? Okay, good. Thank you for being honest with me. Absolutely, I'm not the only one. But in this case, not only did they get discouraged, they make a fatal mistake and they speak against the Lord. And the the situation says that God sent deadly vipers among them. The vipers begin to bite the people and the people begin to die. Oh, no. So Moses intervenes. And he, and he speaks to the Lord and, and asks God to help them. And, and so the Lord gives Moses specific instructions. Now look what, what the Lord says. This is Numbers 21, verse 8. He says, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can, what's that word? Look at it and live. There you go. So Moses does that. He makes a bronze snake. He puts it up on a pole. Then anyone's bitten and looks at this snake, this bronze snake, lived. Excellent. So as I said, not just a nice story, not just a nice piece of history. It's an important prophecy. So Jesus talking about our eternal destinies, our eternal hope, our relationship with God points back to this situation. And look what he says. This is John chapter 3, starting with verse 14. Look what it, look what it says. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who what? believes may have what eternal life in him i want you to notice how those verbs are interchangeable right here in number 21 the people looked and and lived and in john chapter 3 the people believed, and therefore they have eternal life so that looking and believing are synonymous they mean exactly the same thing Israel looked with their physical eyes, but God calls us to see him with our spiritual nature, with our hearts. See this? See what's going on here? So here's faith defined to help us. Faith is the gaze of the soul upon a saving God. What is the one application we want to be about here at Summit Church? Uh, Man, you said that like Catholics. What is the one thing... Sorry, (laughs) Oh dear, back to the confessional booth for me. (laughs) What is the one thing we want to be about here at Summit Church? Much, much better, yeah. Read with me Psalm 34, verse 5. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. You see, that's really the full scope of the scriptures. We have all spoken against the Lord. 
in our discouragement. Because of that, we have all been bitten, so to speak, by deadly vipers. And as a result, we all need God's mercy, and anyone who will look to the sun can find life. That's faith defined, the gaze of the soul. All right, let's take this a step further. Let's talk about obtaining faith. We've already seen that it's a gift. We've already seen how it's triggered through the word of God. So, so let's go on here. This is uh, Hebrews chapter 12, starting with verse 1, where the Bible tells us this. Run the race, run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us, what? Fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author. It was his idea in the first place. Then the perfecter. He will complete what he starts right there. So right there we see faith is not a one-time act. It's the one thing that will keep our hearts focused on our destiny, on the prize, as we go through this fallen world. Okay, now I want you to hear what Tozer says about this. Listen. Believing then is directing the heart's attention to Jesus. You got it? I'm going on. It's lifting the mind to behold the Lamb of God and never ceasing that beholding for the rest of our lives. At first, this may be difficult, but it becomes easier as we look steadily at His wondrous person, quietly and without strain, Distractions may hinder, but once the heart is committed to him, after each brief excursion away from him, can anybody relate to that? Excursions away, yes, from him. The attention will return again and rest upon him like a wandering bird coming back to this window. Now I'm going to go on. Listen to Tozer some more. This is good stuff. I would emphasize this one commitment. This one great volitional act which establishes the heart's intention to gaze forever upon Jesus. God takes this intention for our choice and makes what allowances he must for the thousand distractions which beset us in this evil world. He knows that we have set our direction, we have set the direction of our hearts toward him And we can know it too and comfort ourselves with the knowledge that the habit of the soul is forming, which will become after a while a sort of spiritual reflex requiring no conscious effort on our part. Spiritual reflex. Let me give you this acronym. A-R-M. Automatic Response Mode. Automatic response mechanism, A-R-M. Faith is a muscle that must be developed, but once that muscle is developed, you begin to use it without giving much thought to what you're doing. That's what he's talking about right here. You've got to use faith to develop faith. And as you begin putting your sights on Jesus in the first place, you will develop the habit of keeping your sights there until eventually it becomes automatic reflex, automatic response mechanism, automatic response mode. And that's why we keep saying around here, 
all eyes on Jesus. That's what I have to offer you as your pastor. My job isn't for you to look at me unless looking at me is like the sight on the end of a barrel of the gun so that you can see him and get your sight better on him. And whatever point me as your sight gets twisted off, right? Keep your eyes set upon him. Look at Colossians 1.6. And if I were teaching the way God gave me this teaching today, this verse would be very primary in that teaching okay look what it says so then just as you received jesus christ jesus is the lord just as you once received jesus as your lord and savior remember that moment continue to live your lives in him rooted built up and strengthened in faith as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude distractions abound They do. I I love the old song. Maybe you know it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Let me give you the words and you guys sing it, okay? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Look full in his wonderful face. Look full in his And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of His glory and grace. In the light of His glory and grace. I I can't say it enough. I can't say it enough as your pastor. All eyes on Jesus. Put your eyes on Jesus and keep your eyes there. Is there an area of your life that you struggle and you just can't seem to get victory there? I will tell you, your tendency will be to focus on the problem. And focusing on the problem and your own strength is not your source of victory. There's only one source of victory, and that source is all eyes on Jesus. Is there a person or a situation that you're concerned about? Our tendency will be to focus on the problem and what we're going to do about the problem. And then we begin to think, if we could only say the right thing, if we could only introduce them to the right person, if we could only get them to church, or if things were different, I'm telling you, that's not the answer. The answer is all eyes on Jesus. Okay? Now, I'm not a photographer, Any photographers in the room here today? All right. You will never see me with a camera. I don't want the extra baggage. I don't even like keys in my pocket. I don't want to carry a camera. But whenever Valerie and I are on a trail or a trip, we always notice those people who are trying to figure out how to get the whole family in the picture, and they're lacking the help they need. So we always offer to help, right? In fact, a few weeks ago, up at uh, Lake... uh, Sprague Lake, we met some Israelis. Oh, it was so cool. We love America. We can't go anywhere in Europe without being hated, but we love America. And we we, we took their picture, but you don't want to get the camera to me, right? Because if I take the picture, it's going to be messed up. And there's always a finger in the lens or something that's going to mess that thing up. 
Always get it to Valerie. She's the one with the patience for that kind of stuff. Don't get it to me. But I know enough about photography to know that if there's something that I want to capture, I've got to decide what that is and focus there. And the minute I focus there, I'm making a conscious decision that there's going to be a whole bunch of other stuff that won't be in focus. So so apply that to life. Faith is getting our eyes off the stuff of life, the stuff of the world, the stuff of ourselves, the stuff of others, all our failures and all our our worries in order to get God's image in clear view. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not conscious to needs around us, but we've got to get our sights set in the right place so that it becomes ARM, our automatic response mechanism. Amen? All right. Now we're going to talk about strengthening that gaze. Honestly, are you kidding me? Isn't this message way too simple? Faith is the gaze. Faith is looking. Well, if it sounds too simple, then know this. That's the amazing God we serve. And we send guys to seminary to mess it all up. Focus your heart's attention to him and capture the eye of an all-seeing God because faith is the gaze of the soul. And we complicate it. Oh, man, there are people who refuse to come to this church because we meet in an auditorium. You don't really have a church, right? We lost sight of what it is. We've adopted this German word for church and lost the Greek word, which means the gathering. You are the gathering. And so we don't need all the paraphernalia. We don't need all the gadgets. We don't need all the musical instruments because, because buildings, they, they fall apart. Musical instruments wear out, right? Fires destroy things. God himself is the only essential we need. And if we got him and we got each other, that's really good. You can successfully look at him no matter where you are, no matter what you have. But it can also be practiced at any time. No time is is any better than, than any other. As I mentioned earlier, are you at work? Get your sights on Christ, right? Are are you in the car? Oh man. I've learned driving down the canyon, the best times are to shut everything off and just worship the Lord. Yeah, it's glorious. Get your eyes on Him. Are you in the midst of a battle, a tough decision? Are you in the midst of frustration? Get your eyes on Him. You know, the medical profession sports the image of the snake, right? And I, and I realize that there's great debate as to where this, this image comes from, but personally, I believe it comes from the story of Moses that we read, right? And, and the whole idea of having that snake on the ambulances or on, on the letterhead or in an office is to say, look to the snake and live, right? Look to Jesus and live. So let that image remind you of what we have seen today. So someone says, well, does that mean that we don't need repentance? No, we need repentance because the truth is whatever has your major attention outside of God is the object of your faith. Whatever it is you're committed to is the object of your faith. So repentance is changing loyalties. It's recognizing even having your sights in the wrong place and refocusing 
Get your eyes on Jesus. That's what it's all about. I want to follow him. I've gone my own way. It's messed my life up. Unbelief is allowing God to get out of focus because we're allowing too much other stuff to come into focus. So someone says, well, does that mean we don't need to read our Bibles and pray? No, reading our Bibles and praying is part of the focusing practice. It reminds us what we need to do. It reminds us what we are and what we're supposed to be. So someone says, well, does that mean that I really don't need the fellowship of the body of Christ? No, it doesn't mean that either. I would suggest to you that one of the great and most obvious signs that you've lost sight of Jesus is a lack of desire to be with God's people. What did I do? Just kill a bunch of you? I don't see any blood out there. One of the evidences that we've lost sight of Jesus is a lack of desire to be with God's people. Do you hear that? Yeah, look what Jesus says. He says, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples. You fill in the blank there. But what did Jesus say, right? If you love one another. Yeah, I love Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. Look what it says there to us. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day notice this capitalized day of jesus return see we actually help each other to keep our focus in the right place so someone protests and says yeah but there's so much confusion what's the right church i mean the church seems so divided so much disunity one person teaches this one person teaches that You shouldn't let that surprise you. Jesus warned us that confusing messages would come. In fact, if you read the epistles, excuse me, I'm getting excited here. If you read the epistles, a major reason that the epistles were given to us is to recognize all of the confusion in order that we might know how to properly handle it. That's what we're talking about. So, I brought with me this, this tuning fork. This is an A tuning fork, okay? I don't know. Can you hear it? Yeah. With this tuning fork, this little tuning fork, an entire orchestra can be brought into tune. It's the standard that allows us to hear beautiful music. Friends, Jesus is the tuning fork of the body of Christ. Jesus is the standard. And if there's confusion in the church, I want you to know, it's because someone has taken their focus off of him. And when we get our focus in the right place, we will experience life as he intended it, and we will have impact on this world like we never imagined. I believe it. Jesus is our standard. See, so this whole matter of fixing our eyes on Jesus, when it becomes our practice, we will find ourselves walking in greater strength, greater victory. We'll find ourselves being attractive to a world that's desperately in need of this God we serve. It's a vertical connection that has horizontal effects. Got me? Got it here? Got the word here? Okay, so today we talked about the gaze of the soul. 
Next week, we're going to talk about resting the soul. Now, I'm blown away because I didn't plan it this, this way. But what's next weekend? Labor Day, a weekend of resting, right? How in the world did we land on this teaching on Labor Day? I didn't plan that, right? I'm going to believe that. So next week, we'll do that. But honestly, where's the gaze of your soul? Where do you go to let down? Now, honestly, where do you go to let down? Where, where do you go to escape? Where do you go to find rest? What is your automatic response mechanism, and what does that cause you to focus on? Now, think about this. Is it Jesus? Is it something else? Where would you like it to be? Hear it again. All eyes on Jesus. You started with Jesus. Carry on with Jesus. Put aside all the legalisms and requirements of the church. And get your eyes on Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Just let the Lord speak to you right now for a minute. Can you see him? Have you lost focus? And are you seeing him a little more clearly right now? Just tell him. Lord, I need to see you. Lord, I need to see you. Lord, I need to see you clearly. You're my hope. You're my power. You're my glory. Lord, I've recognized. I've been distracted. But this morning, thank you for reminding me to reset my sights on you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you not only for going to the cross. Thank you for not only rising from the dead, but thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to prompt me and to remind me of you, my hope of glory. I'm turning my eyes to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.